Well, good morning, and again, welcome to Grom Law. We really are so happy that you are here today. We're so glad that you decided to make Grom Law part of your week. Um, I say this just about every single time that I get up here to speak, and so hopefully, if you've been coming for a while, this doesn't feel disingenuous, because I really, really do mean it. Uh, but we know that walking into a new place can feel risky, it can certainly feel intimidating, and uh, we're so glad that you decided to take that risk and show up here today. And honestly, regardless of why you're here, because we recognize that some of you, you're excited to be here. You were looking forward to this this morning. Others of you, you were maybe bribed into showing up. Somebody's like, hey, come to church with me and I'll buy you lunch. And you're like, gosh, it can't be that bad for an hour. So yeah, I'll show up to that. Uh, others of you might've got guilted into showing up. I don't really care why you're here. I'm just glad that you're here. I'm glad that you decided to make Grumlaw part of your week. So seriously, thank you for walking through our doors. Uh, as mentioned, we are continuing this series right now uh, called Elijah, where we're focusing on the guy Elijah. Uh, it's important to note that Elijah was a very real person. He lived thousands of years ago, but he's not some fictional character. He's a real guy that we read about in the Old Testament. In the first half of the Bible, he lived at about 875 BC. And that's one of the reasons that I really ha have been enjoying and have been so fascinated by this series, because I always find it so perplexing and, inc perplexing and incredible that, that we take these people that lived thousands and thousands of years ago, and yet we can still learn so much from these people. They can teach and challenge us in so many great ways, despite the fact that, again, they lived thousands of years ago. And so, as mentioned, we're in the third and the final week of this series this morning. If you have missed either one of the first two weeks, I'd really encourage you to go to grumlaw.com, click on recent messages, and catch yourself up there. I promise that it'll be a good use of your time, a far better use of your time than listening to like that Kendrick Lamar record for the 20th straight time. Uh, you'll actually get a little bit out of this. I promise you that. And so, if you haven't been here, I want to give you a quick recap as to kind of what's been going on in the first two weeks. In the first week, uh, we saw God cut and mold Elijah into a man of God. God actually led him into this place called the Kareth Ravine, where Elijah was essentially forced to be dependent on God and on God alone, not dependent on God and his income, not dependent on God and his job, not dependent uh, on God and his family, but dependent on God and God only. And in that Kareth Ravine, God demonstrated his faithfulness. And we saw through the life of Elijah, and in fact, it's true of every Jesus follower that's sitting in the room today, that extraordinary things happen. Extraordinary things begin to take place in our lives when we stop depending on ourselves and we start depending on God. And last week, Melissa spoke. Let's give Melissa another round of applause. She did great. Some of y'all aren't clapping because you weren't here last week. You're like, I don't know who Melissa is. Clap anyway. Let's just make her feel good about herself. Okay, there we go. Uh, last week, uh, Melissa pointed out the fact that we all, whether you're a Jesus follower or not, this isn't just a Christian thing, we all have false gods in our lives. Now, not the false gods that we maybe traditionally think of, like golden calves, and I doubt any of you have like these pillars that are hidden in your garage that you go and bow down to, but we do have these things like money and our image and, and certain possessions that if we're honest with ourselves, we put those things ahead of just about everything else in our lives. And we saw that through the life of Elijah that false gods promise what only the true God provides. And we were challenged to quit wavering. Pick a side, pick what your God is. And guess what? If money is your God, then sell out to that God. Do everything that you can possibly do to get more money. Get rich or die trying, just like 50 Cent, right? If, if image is your God, then do everything to sell out to your image. Do whatever you gotta do. Go to the tanning booth three times a week. Go drop all sorts of money on clothes. Do that thing that when you get older, you get your face sucked back. Do whatever you gotta do to sell out to your image. Sell out to it. But if God, if the God that we talk about here on Sunday mornings, if you think that a God is real, then put him and him alone first in your life. Stop wavering. And today, we're gonna be focusing on a piece of scripture that is so important. 
It's so applicable. It has an opportunity to play such a huge role in every single one of our lives, regardless of if you're a Christian or not, if you would just allow it to. It says here in James chapter 5, which is a book that we find in the New Testament, James actually happens to be the brother of Jesus. It says this, Elijah was a person just like us. I find this to be an incredibly sobering statement. And here's why. Because in the first week, I I talked about the fact that Elijah, and I truly believe this, is one of the greatest men of God to have ever lived, to have ever walked the earth. And in fact, anybody that studied any amount of scripture, looked at church history, I don't think many people would argue with that. So Elijah's one of the greatest men of God to have ever lived, but yet James, Jesus' brother, is saying he was a person just like us. He's a person just like us. So it would stand to reason then that I am one of the greatest men of God to have ever lived. And in fact, you are one of the greatest men of God. You are one of the greatest women of God to have ever lived. Did you know that? I mean, that's some incredible news this morning. He continues. He says, Elijah was a person just like us, and, and you probably figured there was an and or a but, he prayed earnestly. And here is what separates Elijah from ordinary people. What separates Elijah from from a lot of us, myself very much included, he was indeed a person just like us. He wasn't some sort of superhero. He didn't possess like these really unique special powers, but, but he prayed earnestly. He prayed a lot. He prayed often. He prayed with sincerity of heart. There was a depth and a purpose to his prayers. He prayed with boldness. He prayed with confidence. They were anything but flippant. His prayers were persistent. His prayers were expectant. They reflected the intimacy that he had with God. And the crazy thing is, just like we talked about in the first week, that we all, God offers this to all of us. We have this opportunity, every single one of us, to be great men and to be great women of God. And just like we talked about last week, we all have the ability, whether you believe it or not to get rid of those false gods, to get rid of those idols out of our lives, and to serve God and God alone. Today, what we're talking about, this is something that is also offered to us all. This week, too, just like Elijah, God created every single one of us. And maybe nobody's ever told you this before. God created you to be used in great ways, but for lots of different reasons, and frankly, because of lots of different excuses, we are unwilling to do the and that we see here in Elijah's life. We're unwilling to pray earnestly. And so this morning, we're going to talk about what separates Elijah's prayer life from a lot of ours. We're going to be looking at what separates an ordinary prayer life from an extraordinary prayer life. How God ultimately takes normal, everyday, common people like me and you and uses us for so much more. Now, this could just be a a, a me thing and You know, pardon me if it is, but I I doubt it. I I talked to other people and I remember being a kid. But as a kid, there is really nothing worse than prayer, if we're being honest. Because we're forced to essentially stand as still as we can, right? And then you gotta, you know, fold your hands. And you gotta close your eyes and bow your head and stay still, which for a five, six, seven, eight year old is brutal. I don't know what it is about little kids, but you tell them to pray and they immediately go into kind of this mode where they're. You start like getting real super fidgety. And even if the prayer's like 10 seconds long, it just feels like an eternity. Now, as we get older, we start to become, you know, a little bit more observant. We start to identify those people that 
It might be a little bit more long-winded, you know, for, for that person in, in my life was this guy named Jerry. Now, when Jerry would start, you know, praying, and you're a little kid, and you just hear his voice, you go, oh, crap, it's a Jerry prayer. And you knew it was going to go along, and you'd sit there, and you'd be like, oh, please. And you would be praying as well as a little kid, but you would be praying that the prayer would get wrapped up sooner than later. You're like, come on, Jerry, just say amen. Then when he finally says amen, you're like, yeah, all right, I'm done. And as we get even older, we start to identify, and again, you don't admit to this, I'll, I'll admit to this, you start to figure out like, which people you think are actually better at praying than others. We've probably all done this at some point in our lives. We basically judge how other people are praying. We feel that some people have it a little bit better figured out than others. But I want you to be incredibly, incredibly honest with yourself right now. If you were to like, kind of put a number on your prayer life, like a one to 10 number, and, and 10's like wherever Elijah's at, and one's where, like, wherever Trump's at, I don't know why I said that. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about this morning. Don't leave the church or leave me a note. I have no idea what, what Trump's prayer life is at. Okay, but 10 being really, really good and one being on the bottom half of that scale. What, what number would you give yourself? And again, we're not going to ask you to turn this in. It doesn't have to be put on a piece of paper, but be honest with yourself. Where would you put yourself? And my guess is that if you put yourself on the lower end of that spectrum, somewhere, you know, one in five, and by the way, we've all been there before, you are probably wondering if it actually works. Because, because the idea of prayer sounds phenomenal, doesn't it? I mean, the idea that we can actually communicate to our creator, that we can have a conversation with, with God, but does it actually work? I mean, how do we know that we're not just talking to ourselves? How do we know that there's a God out there that's actually listening to us? Because chances are you've prayed for your marriage and it hasn't seemed to get any better. I mean, you, you've prayed for your son or you prayed for your daughter that they would just start making better decisions, that they would stop getting into trouble, but for whatever reason, they just seem like hell-bent on getting themselves into prison. You've asked God to, to, to get rid of an addiction. You've asked him to get rid of your anger. You've asked him to heal a family member. The list goes on and on and on and on, and you feel like he's not listening. In fact, even worse, sometimes we feel like he's just ignoring us. So, before we jump into what made Elijah's prayer so much different, so unique, I'd like to, well, pray for you and pray for me, uh, so allow me to do that now. Father, uh, we do just say thank you for every person that decided to show up here today, again, whether they wanted to show up, whether they felt obligated, um, regardless of the why, God, we're just happy they're here, and we ask that you would do what only you can do this morning. And you would speak to each of us individually today. I, I really believe that you can and, and will do that. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So, jumping back to the book of James there, it says, Elijah was a person just like us, and he prayed earnestly, as we've talked about, for it not to rain. And rain never came to the land for three years and six months, for three and a half years. Now, I read a verse like that, and I think, what the heck? I mean, I believe in prayer. I'm a pastor. I better believe in prayer, right? Like, I've seen prayer work, but I gotta be honest. I have never seen prayer work quite like that. He prayed for it not to rain, and it literally did not rain for three and a half years. 
What the heck is Elijah doing different? Now, I want to get you a little bit caught up here in as to what's going on in Elijah's life at this point, and just in case you haven't been here these first couple weeks. Um, again, Elijah is born into ancient Israel. We first start reading about him roughly like 875 BC. And at this point in Israel's history, they have just uh, encountered 200 consecutive years of evil kings, a very, very evil leadership. And it's all coming to a pinnacle. It's all coming to a climax with this one individual by the name of Ahab who we read about was literally, and this isn't an exaggeration, literally the evilest king to have ever lived. He would, he would ask people to sacrifice their children. He would bring prostitutes into the temple and, and have people commit sexual acts with them. And in turn, he would call it worship. I mean, he was actively taking all these terrible, terrible steps to lead people away from God. And in this moment, God finally says enough. And what's so interesting is God doesn't raise up an army. I mean, he doesn't even raise up a group of people. He chooses one man, Elijah, to stare down the evilest king to have ever lived. And so God tells Elijah, he goes, okay, I want you to go to Ahab, you know, that really, really evil king, and I want you to tell him that at your word, there is not going to be any more rain. Now, back at this point in history, at this agriculturally driven society, when you said no rain, I mean, that was a showstopper. I mean, society as they knew it would come to a stop. And so Elijah's looking at God going, are you serious? You want me to go tell Ahab that? This guy that's kind of built his reputation on being very vindictive and very angry? Like, I don't think he's going to take it that well. And God looks at him and he's like, in fact, he's not going to take it very well. You're going to tell him that message, and then you're going to want to go ahead and run away because he's going to try to kill you. He's like, sounds great. And he actually does it. And sure enough, he runs away because Ahab's going to try to kill him for delivering this message. And so he's been in the wilderness hiding for over three and a half years. And now Elijah's finally starting to sense that, okay, maybe the rain's supposed to come back on. And so he kind of starts coming out of hiding. And here is where we pick the story up here in 1 Kings, a book that we find in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible. It says this, Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, which is this mountain, Mount Carmel, bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. The servant went and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. The seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. We all struggle with prayer. Every single person that's sitting here today, it's, whether you're a Jesus follower or not, it's hard to be consistent all the time. It's hard to constantly be authentic. We have all struggled with, with whether or not we're just talking to ourselves, with whether or not there is a God that's actually listening to us. But if you listen to, to, to what we're talking about this morning and you apply what we see here in Elijah's life to, to your own life, and I know that this is going to sound a bit like a bold proclamation, um, you implement these truths into your life. I promise it will change and it will transform your prayer life forever. Your relationship with God will absolutely be different as a result. Your relationship with God will absolutely be better as a result. Now, ultimately, this is your choice. And you could certainly, if you wanted to, just zone out for the next 20 minutes. You could pull out your phone and act like you're reading the Bible and really just like get rid of some online shopping. And that's totally fine. You're not going to hurt my feelings if you do that. But I really, really hope that you don't. Whether you're a Christian or not, regardless if you want to be here or you don't want to be here, I hope that you will at least be open to this. Because what if, I mean, what if there really is a God out there? What if there's a God out there that really does want a relationship with you? What if there's a God out there that actually desires to communicate with you? 
So my hope is that you'll pay attention to this this morning. You'll at least give it a shot. Be open to what God might have to say to you today. Now, from those first couple verses there that we read, I think there are essentially four qualities of an effective prayer that we can identify here. Quality number one is this. Effective prayers are humble prayers. Again, he says, Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel. He bent down to the ground and he put his face between his knees. Notice that this piece of scripture does not say Elijah was driving 80 miles an hour down the freeway, returning an email from his boss and intimately spending time with God. We laugh at that, but we do these things all the time. We fit our prayers into our schedule rather than allowing God to dictate our schedule. Elijah needed to take care of some business with God, so he set some time aside like he scheduled it, not something we normally do. He climbed to the top of a mountain, which I'm not expecting you all to climb to the top of mountains when you need to talk to God, but the point is he isolated himself. He got rid of distractions. Again, not something we typically do, And then he does something really, really interesting. He says, he bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. I mean, he literally got on the ground and he buried his face between his legs. Now, we have a tendency, and again, this could just be a me thing, but we can read this stuff and we just think, well, that's like old school. Like people don't actually do these kinds of things anymore. I mean, nobody actually gets on their knees and prays to God What I get to do here for a living uh, is extremely humbling. And weekly, I go, what the heck, God? Why do you allow me to do this? Why do you allow me, in particular, to get up here and and deliver these messages? And before I write these messages, and then on Fridays when I actually practice these things, and I lock myself in rooms for like six hours at a time and practice and study. But before I do any of that, I literally get on my knees and I just beg God to show up here on Sunday mornings. Because if he doesn't show up, this is a waste of time. I mean, there is nothing that I could possibly say that would be so persuasive to get you to actually change. It's God, and I beg him to do that. He humbled himself before a holy God. Do we realize how powerful, how awe-inspiring, how holy, how set apart our God is? I mean, how absolutely magnificent he is. In the book of Exodus, another book that we find in the Old Testament, God said this. So, it's, I mean, God talking, pretty crazy. You cannot see my face, he said, for no one may see me and live. This isn't figurative. I mean, this is literal. Like, if we were to actually see God, we would die. I mean, that's how holy and set apart God is. And I think once we start to grasp this, just how holy God is, just how set apart he is, just how magnificent he is, then we begin to approach him with the same level of reverence and respect and humility that we see here with Elijah. Elijah realized that he could not bring the rain, that he was small, that he was a nobody, that he was inadequate, but God, God, you are big. You are mighty, you are powerful, you are holy, you are the creator, you are the sustainer. He knew that he couldn't bring the rain, but he also knew who could. That is humility. I remember my dad sharing this story with me uh, years ago, and gosh, it was like emotional for me to hear this. Uh, He he shared that uh, one time in in late high school, uh, he was going on a date with, with a girl, and his parents always gave him that liberty and said, go for it. You know, they trusted him to not do anything stupid, and it was one of those occasions where he's going to go on a date with this, uh, with this young lady, uh, not my mother, who happens to be sitting here. Don't let this hurt your feelings, Mom. It gets better. Um, so 
uh, he goes on this date, and, and if you know my dad, most of you don't, so I don't even know why I said that, but my dad's really blunt, right? He's just like, he's very straightforward. He'll just kind of tell you how it is. And uh, when it came to dating, he, he didn't like just date girls to have a good time. If, if he couldn't, even in high school, he's going into it with the mindset that, man, if he didn't envision marrying this girl, he wasn't going to waste her time. And so uh, he was on this date, and very early on in the date at, at dinner, he's figuring out, yeah, there ain't no way I'm going to marry this girl. And so he just comes out and he tells her that. Can you believe that? He's like, hey, I, I don't see this working out long term. I don't think I'm going to marry you, and you probably don't want to marry me either. And she's like, well, not after telling me that, but yeah, okay. And so he's like, all right, well, I'm just going to take you home. And so they, they wrap the meal up, and, and he goes home. And so therefore, he, he gets home much earlier than he had originally anticipated. And it's still late enough that he would have thought that his parents would have been in bed. And he gets into the house, and... Uh, at my grandparents' house, uh, there was this den, which was like, you know, this old school thing that they did in houses, right? Like a love seat and a lazy boy and like maybe a TV in there. And he notices that the light's still on in the den. And he thinks, well, that's kind of weird. My, my dad must have forgot to take off, turn off the light. And so he comes around the corner and he's surprised to find that his dad, uh, my grandfather, is on his hands and knees and looks to be praying. And so my dad like, oh, all right. And he like, he steps out without his dad noticing and, you know, leaves. And then the next morning, they're having a conversation. And, uh, you know, his, his dad asks him, hey, how did the date go? And he tells him, oh, not very good, actually. And he's like, oh, okay, that's okay. And he just asks him, he says, hey, dad, is everything okay? And he's like, yeah, why do you ask? He's like, well, I came home last night, and you were on your hands and knees in the den. Like, it looked like you were praying. Were you praying? And he's like, yes, yeah, son. And he went on to explain that every single time my dad would go on a date, he would pray the entire time on his hands and knees, praying for my dad. My grandpa knew that he could not stop my dad from doing something stupid. He knew that he couldn't keep my dad from doing something that he would regret. But my grandfather also knew who could provide that protection. So he humbled himself before a truly holy God. Back to the book of James, it says, God opposes, opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. That's a promise. Humble yourself before God and he will lift you up. If you want him to listen, if you want him to answer, humble yourself before a truly holy God. Humility always precedes the miraculous. Every time. Quality number two is this. Effective prayers are specific prayers. Now, this is going to sound really, really obvious, but you should probably specifically pray for whatever it is that you specifically need. And you think, well, of course we do that. No, we don't. Let me give you some examples here. And I touched on this uh, in, in a series that we did earlier. But we say things all the thing, time like, God, do great things in my life. Or we say, God, give me strength. Or God, show me your will. Or this is great, right? God, help me. Or God, please reveal yourself to me. Or my personal favorite, God, be with us. Now, there's nothing necessarily inherently wrong with saying these things, but let's be honest. If you were to say these things out loud and somebody who knows nothing about God was to stop you and go, oh, oh, oh. can you tell me a little bit more about that? 
You would be scrambling to come up with some just like off-the-cuff, churchy answer back to that person. I, I spend a lot of time in prayer when I'm driving. I seem to spend a lot of time in the car, and I don't really listen to the radio. I don't listen to music. Every once in a while, I listen to like podcasts. But for the most part, I try to spend that time in my vehicle praying. Now, obviously, it's not the most ideal environment to pray, right? Because I have to at least give like 2% of attention to driving, so... You know, that's kind of important. But, you know, I, I try to use that time. And it's not unusual because it's not the most distraction-free environment that my mind will start to wander. And this happens to me, it seems like, about every six months. And it happened recently where I was driving and I was just kind of in the rhythm of praying. And like three things in a row I had said, like, God, just be with my wife. And God, just be with my family. And, and just be with the church. And I stopped. And I got this big grin on my face. And I was like, what am I talking about? Because I just pictured God up in heaven looking down going, What's that? What are you saying there? God be with, what do you mean by that? I mean, we can be so incredibly vague. Elijah was specific. He was specifically asking God for rain, not for God to provide, not for God to just bring some help. He was specifically asking for rain. In James chapter four, it says, you do not have because you do not ask God. How simple is that? It's pretty straightforward. There's not really a lot of room for interpretation here. We don't have because we don't specifically ask. Now, that being said, I don't want to deceive you all. If you just start specifically asking God for a Ferrari every day for like the next two years, I doubt he's going to give you a Ferrari. But we have intentions and we're praying for specific things that are godly things, specifically ask for those things, and he typically comes through. In fact, when we don't specifically ask God, I think that we show a lack of regard for God's power and that he might actually come through and provide for whatever it is that we're asking for. Quality number three is this. Effective prayers are persistent prayers. He said, go and look toward the sea. He's telling his servant this. Go and look towards the sea. And he's saying, go and look because I want you to tell me if any rain's on the way yet. And he went up and looked. And then he comes back and he's like, there's nothing there. Seven times Elijah said, go back. So to paint the picture, right, we have Elijah and he's on his hands and knees and he's begging God. He's like, bring the rain, bring the rain, bring the rain. And after he prays for a little while, we don't know exactly how long, he tells his servant, okay, go towards that cliff over there and tell me if any rain is on the way. And the servant's looking at him like, I gotta go all the way over there. We don't know how far exactly it was, but it was a distance. And he's like, yeah, yeah, go check. He's like, okay. And so he runs off and, and he comes back and he's like, you know, probably breathing hard and sweating. He's like, nothing yet. And he's like, okay, sit tight. All right, bring the rain, bring the rain, bring the rain. He prays some more. And then he tells the servant, all right, Go look again. Seriously, you want me to look again? Yeah, yeah, go look. Okay, and so he goes and he comes back and he's like, Elijah, there still ain't anything. I mean, how many times until that servant's like, hey, you know what, Elijah, why don't you go check? I've had enough times going back and forth. If you would have told me that it might take this long, you should have at least told me to bring a bike or something. This is getting a little bit old. All right, but Elijah just keeps praying. He keeps going, sorry, come on, come on, come on. And the servant keeps running back and forth. But the point is, Elijah is persistent. You don't hear Elijah getting negative. He doesn't say things like, oh my gosh, this is so stupid. Prayer doesn't work. You don't see him getting all frustrated going, man, God's just ignoring me. He is like laser focused on a specific prayer. And I would be willing to bet that even if that number had reached 77 times, he would have kept on praying for the rain. Maybe the servant would have got sick of it and quit, but he would have kept on praying. He doesn't allow his outward circumstances to affect his inner assurance. Don't allow your outward circumstances to affect your inner assurance. In fact, Elijah's outward circumstances motivated him to pray all the more. We should follow that example. 
And James, again, jumping back there, it says, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. What have you quit praying on that you need to start back up? Your marriage, your child, your job, your finances, a neighbor that, that you have invited to come to church with you like you feel like a hundred times and they just keep saying no and no and no. A family member that you so desperately want to see to come to know Jesus, but it just hasn't happened yet. The persistent prayer is effective. Quality number four is this, effective prayers are expectant prayers. The seventh time the servant reported, all right, don't get too excited, Elijah, but there is something now. A cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. And again, going back to the servant, he's looking back at Elijah, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, I'm not exaggerating. Like, I almost hesitated like, to even tell you. We're literally talking as big as my hand. Like, it could maybe fill like a cup of water, maybe. Like, Elijah, this, this thing ain't very big. But Elijah is almost cocky about this tiny little cloud. And he tells the servant, hey, go down and tell Ahab to sound the alarm. There is so much rain a-coming. And he got the servant's going, have you lost your mind? You should go look at this thing for yourself. It's really, really small. He's like, no, 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 go tell Ahab. And so again, I don't know why I'm so fascinated with the servant, but the servant, you know, like walks away and he's like, you've got to be freaking kidding me. And so he goes to get knocks on Ahab's door. Ahab opens, he's like, hey, want to let you know a lot of rain is coming. What makes you say that? Well, there's a cloud. Big cloud? No, it's as big as my hand. Well, why would we sound the alarm? I don't know. Go to Talk to Elijah. The guy's driving me nuts, if I'm being honest. But Elijah is convinced the rain is a common. I mean, any of us would have been like, eh, we should probably go check the radar first. I mean, we wouldn't want to jump the gun on this. Elijah was expectant. He sounded the alarm. He was sure of what he hoped for. And he was certain of what he did not see. He expected God to come through. And in fact, he does. It says, meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, the wind rose, a heavy rain came on, and Ahab headed for the hills. He rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah. God answers prayers. God moves when we call on him in this way. I have a close friend of mine. And we were speaking at a, at a youth conference uh, last winter. And uh, like right before the conference began, we were driving around together and, and we got a call from a mutual friend and, and the friend was super, super excited. And he's like, hey, hey, oh yeah, Shay with you, okay, cool. And he's like, I gotta tell you guys something. Uh, this friend of mine just accepted Jesus. Like he finally put his trust in Jesus. And whenever you hear that, like that's super, super exciting. I mean, that's kind of I, why I do what I do for a living. He's like, oh, that's so awesome. He's like, no, no, no. I haven't told you the best part. I have been praying for this guy almost daily for 16 years. And today he accepted Jesus. And he's like, I have no idea what the heck clicked today. And I sure as heck wish it would have came 15 and a half years sooner. But I don't care because today he put his trust in Jesus. And I remember listening to that phone call one going, that's awesome, but also going, man, I have not been persistent enough 16 years. That is a long, long time. 
In the book of Mark, it says, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Believe. Believe that God will work. Expect God to come through. Effective prayers are humble, they're specific, they're persistent, and they're expectant. You all could easily walk out of here this morning and, and think, man, that's really great that that worked out for this guy Elijah, maybe, because I'm not really even convinced that he's a real guy, and, and you, you could change nothing in your life. And I don't want to sound too, too dramatic, but man, that would be such a travesty. It would be such a missed opportunity. Even if you're new to this whole church thing, again, what if? Why not give this a shot? And I know it's easy to say, well, well it would just be a waste of my time. Because I don't even know if God's real. What, really? Like a waste of your time? We do things that waste our time often, quite frequently. Why not give this a shot? I challenge you to begin praying like Elijah and watch what God does. Watch how your excuses for why prayer doesn't work begin to dissipate. Effective prayers are humble and they're specific and they're persistent and they're expectant. Expect God to show up. Expect him to come through.